Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 118. And we're in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters in Owings Mills, Maryland. And around our table today are writer-producer Brian Robinson. hey Our road test producer, Ben Davis. hey now. Our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. hey hey and our writer and the uh, podcast producer, Patrick Lucas. Hello, everybody. Okay, we'll have a lightning round. We'll have a viewer question. We'll even have a little time for a rant and rave. But we're going to start off with a vehicle that a lot of people have been waiting for. Very mainstream. And I just got back from the um, uh, introduction of it. And that's the 2016 Honda Pilot. Uh, Honda's new three-row, seven- and eight-passenger crossover I guess the most uh, uh, notable thing I can say about it is that it now looks more or less like a lot of other three-row crossovers. They've ditched the box they had before. Uh, they made it a little bit longer, uh, but it doesn't necessarily have that much more room on the inside because it's, it's no longer square. It still has a V6 engine, uh, but it's up in power. It is now direct injected, so it's part of their Earth Dreams. Uh, they've not put a four-cylinder in it, uh, but they're still claiming a segment-best uh, fuel economy. Uh, transmissions, they've joined the nine-speed transmission um, deal, and basically... A six-speed uh, automatic is standard, but a nine-speed uh, comes in most trim levels, I think, from uh, EXL uh, up. Uh, a very nice vehicle, much quieter than before, not as rough riding as before, but yet not soft either. Competent handling. Uh, first time uh, two-row uh, moonroof, I should say two-port uh, moonroof, a panoramic moonroof, although there is a, a structural member between the two of them. Almost every feature you can think of that's on uh, a mass market uh, three-row SUV uh, that we've seen in the last two years is either standard or optional, including most of the safety features. Um, the only thing that um, uh, I would note, I'd note a couple of things after driving it. The variable cylinder management that goes between six and three, that's still there, works very smoothly. It has automatic stop-start. That was one of the most – it's one of the most um, um, noticeable uh, stop-start systems that we've seen lately. It wasn't particularly smooth. The nine-speed, on the other hand, we've complained a lot about nine-speed transmissions around here. Um, it was extremely smooth and probably one of the best ones I've driven. And again, it was very quiet. They put uh, acoustic glass on the front side glass. Any questions about? It? I mean, this thing's going to fly off the lots, basically. Yeah, I um, mean, you kind of hinted around it, but so what does it have? That no one else has in the segment. Is it just their reputation, or is it just the fuel economy, or what's? I think it's the fact that it's it's a Honda. Honda has a reputation for basically coming late to the party, and then gathering up the best things that everybody else did and putting them in a little bit better overall package. And I think that's basically what they've done again. They sat back with the old box, which, by the way, I should say is selling like crazy right now. The outgoing model. Uh, and they've incorporated everything. They they make a big deal about all the safety features like blind spot monitoring. But typical Honda fashion, some of the safety features are not available until you get really the top model. What sets it absolutely apart from other in this class? Well, the nine-speed automatic is certainly rare. 
Uh, the variable cylinder management is rare, and that gives them, with, a, with plenty of power, a good V6, uh, very good fuel economy for its class. Um, beyond that, I'm kind of hard-pressed. Wow. You know, so – but it's done – it's it's a t- again, a typical Honda job of doing what is expected in a smoother, more refined, and uh, very desirable package. They, I mean, they have some things that we've seen before, like uh, the cargo floor in the very back is reversible. So you've got a rough side for loading things like uh, bags of mulch, and you've got the carpeted side. The one seat, the middle second row seat that has an easy slide feature. Again, we've seen that before, but theirs happens to work really, really well. Uh, they've got lots of ports to charge. Five, I think five ports for your uh, individual devices, USB ports, and four of them you can actually charge devices on. So, it's pricing about the same, that. I assume, but maybe I, more I on think the high so, end I with, think it's going to be a little higher. Right. I mean, they haven't really said yet. It's very possible that the base model will be right around thirty, uh, but I think to get anything on it, they sell almost none of the LX. Uh, you know, I think you're you're looking mid 30s to start getting into the EX and the EXL. So in the inevitable USA today in Cars.com, <laughs> seven seven passenger SUV shootout. Where is this going to place? Uh, frankly, I think I'll be very surprised it doesn't get first. Uh, now that particular shootout has always been a little bit favored towards things like the Durango. Okay. Uh, of course, that's probably going away. Uh, re- here we hear that's going to be replaced by some three-row Grand Cherokee type vehicle. Uh, I can certainly see the Highlander uh, giving them some run for their money. I think they, it's they got, look very similar. Look very similar. I think it's got more space inside than uh, an Explorer. It does. I should touch on the all-wheel drive system. If you've got a current pilot, you're used to having the lock button so you can get out of tough situations by locking the two axles. Uh, This one does away with that. It's got the um, mode switch that we've seen on a lot of automatic systems. Uh, There's a mode, one for snow, there's one for mud, and some others. The mud seems to work very, very well. They had some demonstrations and video of it being in some really slick stuff, and they were able to power out of it without uh, a lock button, and also that's with street tires. So they seem to have done their homework. Um, They've gone to a system I think a lot of purists would rather have something like that lock button, but it doesn't look like they'll need it. So Honda Pilot going on sale in June, uh, and um, when you think of the Pilot, uh, the HRV, the small new small one, and they've just uh, and revamped the CRV, refreshed it. They've done their entire uh, crossover range in a matter of months, uh, refreshed it or all new. And I would say if you're a Honda dealer, you're probably going to have a very good. You got to be loving that. Yeah. You got to be loving it. Speaking of. Um, crossovers uh let's move on now to a new entrance into the mix the fiat 500x and we should point out this is uh am i correct patrick this is fiat's first all-wheel drive vehicle it is um i guess they really only have three vehicles out right now including this one but yeah um they were talking about this being their big uh you know money maker and this is going to be their halo car at least for the time being um it's a global car uh yes their first all-wheel drive um they aimed it right at North America uh, with, you know, the whole compact crossover segment exploding right now. Everybody seems to have one. Um, this one is typical Fiat. You've got the weird trim levels. There's pop and easy and lounge and trekking and all that stuff. Um, it's got that, you know, Italian style. Um, 
big headlights, Fiat badging, uh, sort of a rounded, very European looking uh crossover um, and now this is really we would classify this as a subcompact so this goes up against what jeep renegade mm-hmm. which it well, actually it shares, shares chassis with shares chassis and it's the uh, juke and things like that yeah, it's the fca their small wide four by four or small wide all-wheel drive platform um which actually gets a lot of use in that company. I think the ProMaster City is also on that. Um, the 500L 500 is on that. 500L is on it. Um, yeah, the uh, all-wheel drive system, I wish I could tell you more about it. They didn't really have a, a great demonstration of it. Um, it's basically the the base system that's in that you can get in the Renegade. It's very... It's a fully automatic system. It's Yeah, it's very a very basic system. It's basically... The rear axle is totally disconnected until it senses some slipping, and you right. can't you can't really engage it. It just kind of senses sends little power back. So it's a rudimentary all-wheel drive. Correct, and which I guess is enough. It'll probably yeah. be enough for, for what people. people are going to drive this car are going to get into. Um, the interior was actually the biggest surprise for me. Um, it got a good amount of style. Obviously, Fiat is good on making their cars very unique and interesting looking, but uh, very comfortable. Uh, materials felt nice. Um, there's obviously some hard plastics. It's pretty inexpensive car but um you know they got a good splash of color in there they get body color accents um the leather seats on the higher trims felt very nice though very comfortable um to drive it was you know it's i I drove the 180 horsepower 2.4 liter and the nine speed automatic um it felt like plenty how is that nine speed that's the one that they've been developing for chrysler right so that's we've we've seen it we've seen it in the 200 um Sure, yeah. It's it felt a little better. It feels like I don't know if they actually are, but it felt like they're making progress. Um, yeah, it's getting better. It keeps they keep revising, mm-hmm. updating okay. the software. Well, then, yeah, it uh, felt it felt all right. You know, there's definitely some hiccups along the way, but if you're doing normal city driving, some light back roads driving kind of stuff, it it's fine. If you weren't hung up on, say, a Jeep, I mean, a lot of people just want a Jeep, right? And you look at the Renegade, you look at this, and look at other stuff that's in this market, uh, the Juke, the Trax from Chevrolet. What would motivate you to buy the 500X? I, well, I think it's what they've – the entire Fiat brand for every car they've put out is it's their unique kind of appeal. And the way I, I, I frame this was it's a unique appeal but a very mainstream feel. So it's a very mainstream vehicle in a mainstream segment with mainstream features like all-wheel drive. And a nine-speed automatic, but it looks Italian. It has yeah, it's style. just got the certain character that not a lot of other uh, cars in the segment have. Yeah, looks like hmm. an interesting view. Any any questions? Five hundred X is it on sale yet? It is on sale in late May. So yes, here we go. Okay, we're going to move now to something that we normally don't talk about uh, in our podcast. Some of our long-term uh, vehicles, but we've um, we've been doing. Something special with Volkswagen running through all of the various uh, models of their Golf uh, slash GTI lineup and spending about 90 days or so with each one. Currently, we have their uh, all-electric e-Golf in as a long-term, and we have it plugged in right outside our offices. Most everybody, I think everybody at the table has had a chance to take a spin in it and, and take it home overnight and so forth. So what do you think about it? Is this... A pri- is the electric car for you our type of commuting where most of us live within you know 30, 40, 30 miles or so of work? Does it work? And and have they lost anything in the transition from the Golf, which we all love, uh, to the e Golf? 
Uh, I drove it over the weekend. I'll start. Uh, I think it's the more time I spend it, the more time it EVs become uh, more realistic to me. I mean, I drove it all weekend. I did everything I would normally do on the weekend. I never had a, you know, I came close to using all the range because uh, we did quite a bit of running around. Uh, but plug it in overnight. It was ready to go in the morning. Um, it didn't. It didn't hamper you. No, not at all. And it still drives like a golf. And I tell you, I, when I drove into work this morning. Uh, it all, it's like every other vehicle. It's how you drive it. I mean, it was fully charged when I left. I live about 15 miles away. I've dialed it up to Eco Pro, dialed up the regen, braking to max. It was 101 miles range when I left my house, and there was still 95 miles on the range when I got to work. I was driving it, so I only used up six miles of range, um, you know, driving it as efficiently and safely as I could. And, uh, yeah. You I've can, had the same experience. It seems to... Either the gauge is wrong, which I doubt, or it just seems to hold more charge back. And if you drive sanely, you don't seem to use up the mileage that I can. The typical leaf when I would drive it home and back, you know, I'd probably, let's say the round trip was 24 miles. I'd probably use close to 30 miles of range. And when I drove the e-golf in, I think maybe I used eight or nine, something like Uh that. Seems to be pretty stingy holding yeah. on to the miles. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. I think that's the good way to do it is take an existing car platform that you know is proven, and a lot of people like. And that's good, right? Exactly. And they did very little to it in terms of, I mean, how they uh, stow the battery pack and all that to alter or to mess with that formula they had already struck with the Golf and GTI and all that. Um, I love it. it. Feels like totally normal car. Um, I love that you can dial in different. Uh, aggressiveness or whatever the word is settings for the uh, regen recuperation mm-hmm. so you can get off the gas and it'll start breaking for you and you, there's like three different levels of that so it's nice if you're feeling kind of lazy dial it all the way up and you just take your foot off the gas and the car will stop itself and you're getting back some range um, but I like it I mean it feels like a totally feels like a golf totally normal car great yeah. um, everything they pretty much said it's one of my favorite EVs um, I think I mean, realistically, you're still going to have to have another car because it's when I decide if I'm going to take it home or not, it's like, what am I doing that night or that weekend? Is it going to be, you know, just here and there? Or if I really got to go somewhere, it's just out of the question because I can't I can't do it. But as far as an EV, comparing it to the Leaf and maybe like Soul, um, it's great. I like it a lot. Any anything? Um, Great car, no doubt about it. Uh, personally, I would need more range for to be a mainstay in my life. I just mm-hmm. got too many variables going on all the time. I'm I always I agree with that. It uh, it's great. I think to see though, um, building on what you said before, Patrick, about them taking a car and basically just making a very good car, a very good EV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our impressions of the e golfer are very high, and we've just gotten into our shop a couple of the new. 240 volt chargers that are portable that basically you can throw in the trunk and not just have to do a 120 charge overnight if you've got 240 in your house you can wire it into your garage easily and where a couple years ago these cost several thousand dollars they're now down to about 600 bucks or so Uh, so the market is coming down to meet evs and i think that um, i know around my house uh, as a second or, or even third car it would make a lot of sense Thanks, everybody. Now let's move on to our lightning round. Our panelists have two minutes to debate a trending automotive topic. And when the time is up, Patrick will hit the bell. And uh, here we go. 
Audi has announced that their newest two-liter TFSI uh, fuel-injected engine, direct fuel-injected engine, will be used in the next uh, Audi A4. Here's the big deal. Rather than downsizing it like a lot of other people are doing, like going to a 1.8 or a 1.6, Audi has chose to tweak its engineering for increased efficiency. They're using things like a shorter intake time and quicker intake valve closure. A lot of technical stuff there we won't get into. What do we think this says about the trend of future small engines? Are they going to continue to downsize? Are we going to see more smaller engines with turbos? Uh, How much can they tweak? What do we think the engine, say, five to ten years from now in the standard car will look like? And I have to say we we have to assume that the fuel economy rules are going to go into effect as they're written. So what do you think? Well, i got to think, I mean – to me, this sounds more of a marketing decision than anything else. I mean, Audi and Volkswagen have so much in common that, you know, as Audi, you got to draw the line somewhere where you're not stepping down into Volkswagen's territory or people aren't going to want to step up to the Audi. Where the 1.8 is yeah, very prevalent. To me, to me, it looks like, hey, we need to make a draw a line in the sand here and keep the 2-liter our, as our base engine. That, that's kind of what it looks like to me more than any engineering decision. If right. you want super fuel economy, you can go to Volkswagen. After all, yeah. they're the same corporation, so they yeah. count towards the same fuel economy rules. That's a very interesting take. <laughs> Anybody else? It uh, It's... Most experts, and I'm not one, uh, on the powertrain engineering will tell you that you cannot meet the fuel economy standards a few years from now without doing some downsizing. Uh, Of course, you could argue that this engine is replacing a lot of six-cylinders. I – granted, this is from a press release, so – there might have been a lot of PR jargon Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, spinning bad facts to sound good, (laughs) something like that. But they said that – with the tweaks they've done to this engine, they could achieve on the U.S. cycle mm-hmm. uh, somewhere around like 47 miles per gallon. Maybe that's and, that's and probably that, highway. Well, but, yeah, but that's also a figure. That's not the figure. We should caution everybody. That's yeah. not the figure you see on the windshield. Yeah. But okay, that's very good. That's yeah, very high. Yeah, they are claiming that this is not just – they're claiming that it's more than just a marketing stunt or, mm-hmm. you know, a way to not step on VW's toes, that this is actually – you know, like major engineering and like this, you know, they could do that to other engines. There are three liter turbo that they have in the A6 and stuff like that. Well, so far, I have to say we've seen some pretty clever stuff out of the automakers. I mean, if you look back 10 years ago or even five years ago, they said uh, no more V8s. Uh, V6s would become scarce. Here we've got V6s with uh, variable cylinder management, automatic stop start, direct injection, all of this. So, Obviously, there's a lot of tricks still up the sleeves of engineers to get a little bit more life out of four cylinders. Yeah, I think they can do a lot more with taking weight out of cars, too. Yeah. Granted, all the safety systems just keep adding weight back in. Uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of room there. We I have. Think we'll, oh, yeah. don't ring the bell. <laughs> Go ahead. We'll continue. Take it back. We'll take it sizing and uh, downsizing of uh, four cylinders and turbocharging. I just hope that not all of them require premium fuel because that's mm. can be a bummer a lot of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, especially with uh, the price of the differential between regular and premium. Thanks very much. That was an interesting conversation. Okay, let's uh, turn now to a viewer question. And Larry asks. Larry, I don't know. Are there any vehicles available in the U.S. that do not have a center console that extends up under the dashboard? I'd like to be able to move my feet around. 
I went on long drives with the cruise control on. Uh, I used to buy minivans because they had an open area beneath the dash, but that space is no longer provided. Even pickup trucks no longer have the space available for the front seat occupant's feet. Well, I'll just jump in here and say you can still get a Chrysler minivan without or with a removable front console, and there's still split bench seats in some pickup trucks. You can get a Wrangler and take the door off and just hang your foot out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another solution. Um, Keep your feet near, near the pedals, Larry. That's what I'm saying. Get a motorcycle, Larry. But as near as I can tell, there's no car with a bench seat or without a console. What's the yeah. is the Honda Odyssey the one that has the shifter up on yeah, a lot of the, the Honda next, stuff. Next yeah, a lot of the Honda wheel. stuff and for that matter the Chrysler stuff so too. So is that yeah. open? I can't they remember. They still have stuff down there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they need that space for packaging of so much electronics yeah. and who knows yeah. what else they package in well, there. Well, there's an awful lot of wires that run yeah. down through there. Um, to my knowledge though, with the exception possibly of a pickup truck and I think you can still get the removable front console on the Chrysler minivans. I don't know. Oh, you know what? I, I was thinking oh, about this question. It. We got one. All the right. BMW i3 we had in. Ah, uh, that's right. There you yeah. go. Very good. Yeah. The B- there you go, Larry. <laughs> for uh, sixty grand, you can get yourself an all-electric car, the BMW <laughs> i3, and you can stretch much. out for that whole uh, 100 miles of range you've got <laughs> until you turn on the little gas engine. Very good, Patrick. Hey, Larry, I, I, all kidding aside, uh, a lot of uh, – People that have uh, that are particularly tall uh, have this uh, issue, and it doesn't look like the manufacturers are doing a whole lot to address it. Yeah, I think that's definitely gone away. Like I say, because they need that space for packaging and also safety. They try to confine you in the smallest box as they can for so safety the airbag reasons. Will work. Yeah, if your if your feet are off to the side or something, that's not going to be good in, in an accident. That's I what? just. That's why they invented rest stops on, on the highway. <laughs> yeah, I just saw some uh, comparison between um, – it was a couple of BMWs a few years apart. And one, you had this big, wide-open space, and the next one, you had all this confines, again, to keep you where the airbags will all do their job. Yeah. So, Larry, I hope that uh, helps a little bit. Uh, maybe a pickup truck is uh, in your um, uh, view. Another one, though, that I understand you could probably still get – is a Cadillac DTS, a used one, uh, has a, I think still has a bench seat available. Look around, you might find that. It's a very comfortable car. Okay, we're going to move along now to our newest segment on our podcast, uh, Rant and Raves, uh, just anything or anyone around the table wants to sound off about. Anybody got anything stuck in their craw this week? <laughs> Nothing stuck in there, but I'll. Uh, it is a. It <laughs> Not is a, yours. It claw, is a, craw, whatever. It, it is a rant rave, uh, but I'll go ahead and rave about the uh, onslaught of hot hatches that we've seen. Uh, we've seen coming out here. Finally, lately. I mean it's it's awesome. We've got uh, Golf R, Golf R four hundred, which is coming to the states uh, apparently. Uh, you, you've already got the Focus ST, Fiesta ST. You're going to have a Focus RS, finally. The new Civic hatchback yeah, coming. Yeah, hot rod version. I mean, three. We're just, yeah, we're just getting slammed with all these, and I, and I enjoy it. It's awesome. Do you think this is generational? It has to be. I mean, you – Oh, it must be, yeah. yeah. Because it's all of a sudden. And, I mean, Ford – give Ford credit because they're coming out with all this stuff. I mean, they've already got the two – the Focus Fiesta, and they've got another Focus coming out. So, yeah, I think – the manufacturers are hearing the young people screaming that we want these hot hatches. Yeah. You you can't you can almost not buy a pure sedan in a mainstream car in Europe. Everything if it doesn't have a, fi- a fifth door on it, nobody wants yeah. it. Well, I think it's cool because like they one company makes a really good one, and then they see that people are 
raving about it. Mm-hmm. And so every other company is like, well, we can make one just as good, if not better. Well, so let's do that. Or we've got one sitting in yeah. XYZ country. Let's exactly. federalize it and bring let's, it over. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe Mercedes shouldn't have thought that. I mean, <laughs> GLA, I don't know. Yeah. Well, GLA is more a crossover. But, uh, it's so close to a hatch. Yeah. Like a, call it what you want. I call it a hatch. I think part of it is just the world marketing of everything, too. Instead of having one hatch they sell in Europe and another hatch they sell in U.S., they kind of build them all the same specs. So that's allowed them to uh, bring stuff over here a little easier. On the other hand, when they aim it at a, a high, and when they don't call it an SUV and they don't put all wheel drive on it and they aim it at a higher um, clientele uh, like the uh, Honda Accord, it doesn't seem to work. No, I don't know. Hmm. But it does seem to be something that the the younger uh, population seems to be driving. Anything I mean, people, else? People Go need ahead. to buy them. I don't know how the sales are, but anytime people, you know, call out for something and then manufacturers offer it, if people don't buy them, they don't leave them there for too Comes long. Comes and goes. Time yeah. for a Fit SI. I think we were talking about that last week, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. That'd, That'd be, be awesome. Sweet. I think that would be fun. That'd be the hottest. Yeah. Even that Sonic RS we had a year or two ago, that was fun. <laughs> you know, and it didn't have any extra power. It was just yeah, nicely was, done. Yeah. It's, okay, uh, that's our rant and rave for this week. And that brings to a close our Motor Week podcast, number 118. I want to thank everybody around the table, our writer-producer Brian Robinson, our road test producer Ben Davis, assistant producer Greg Carlos, and writer Patrick Lucas. Thanks to our audio engineer Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator Bob Mixter, And Patrick, again, for being our producer. To everyone out there, thanks very much for listening to our podcast and for visiting Motor Week on your local public television stations and on the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, thanks for listening and watching Motor Week. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.